Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tats Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Rachel Touche. She's a company owner at R&R Resolute Staffing Firm. So Rachel, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm flattered to be on it. <laughs> Looking forward to learning about your business and your background some more. Now, I noticed that on your, and I'm always curious, I always like start with LinkedIn and, and you know, what people share on LinkedIn. And something that stood out to me was you just had a list of the uh, women that's shaped your future. So tell me about that. Yeah. So owning a women-owned, women-run business, you know, I have to give that credit because that's that's not for everyone. It's it's a tough, I'm learning every day. It's tougher than I even imagined. <laughs> but when I think about my history and what led me to it, it's not like I grew up thinking I'd own a business. It's nothing I ever really imagined for myself up until a couple of years ago, but I've had really strong female role models and they've just made me the person that I am because it takes a certain amount of grit to be a business owner, male or female, but there may be some extra things that come along with that. So I have some great male mentors. I love my father dearly. I am a daddy's girl, but when I really got to digging into the things that I think make me really a good business person in general and just a caring person and just good for staffing. It's the relationships from the women in my family, primarily. So aunts, my mother, very strong impact. And just those are the people I always want to call for advice and call when I need to cry it out. And so, you know, I wanted to give them credit where credit's due. I actually have that same list on my website and it was a surprise to them. So um, a couple of them you know, are are no longer with us. So they didn't get to see it, but I did make sure that I sent the link to their daughters so that they would see that. And then it was kind of a surprise for my mom and my aunt, my grandmother, my aunt called crying. It was like, I had no idea that like, that's how you viewed me as such a crucial part. And I think sometimes people don't realize how much they're helping someone and unfortunately people get busy and they forget to give credit where credit's due. So I just wanted to make sure that they knew how much I I realized I would not be where I am today without all that love and support. Is that something you saw somewhere or you just felt like doing? No, I, I just thought, you know, like I was reading a business book and they gave credit. The gentleman gave credit to his wife and it was very beautifully written. And I thought, why don't people do that on their websites? <laughs> why don't they do that on their LinkedIn? Like it's if it's a part of who you are and affects you every day. Why not? It doesn't have to be just a a book. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Now, you started out in the recruiting side working for companies. At what point did you decide to start a company or was that always the plan? No. So I used to say I fell into staffing, but the truth is I jumped into it. I interviewed for it when I was at a I was actually about to get my dream job doing something totally different that I knew what I was getting into. It was retail management and it was going to be more money than I'd ever made. It was a guaranteed salary, but it also guaranteed I'd be working weekends for the rest of my life. (laughs) And so 
it actually kind of came up. One of the salespeople from a staffing company knew my dad and was having lunch with him and complaining about the staff and how he didn't have any go-getters with grit and just couldn't get these orders filled. And he told my dad, I just need a hard worker. And he's like, well, my daughter's working three jobs, 90 hours a week. Like how much does this pay? Because I know she can do it, but you have to know she knows nothing about construction manufacturing. So there's going to be a learning curve, but if you invest for her into her, it'll pay off. And so I interviewed, and at the time it was an all male staff. So I showed up and I used to say I fell into it, but the funny thing is two days later, I called him and I said, listen, I have a choice to make. Are you making me a good offer or not? Um, so I, I can no longer say I fell into it. I chose it and I wanted the opportunity to make commission. I had never done that. It was a little scary, but the thought of making the same amount of money or even more turned out to be more and working Monday through Friday was very appealing to me in my mid twenties. And so that's how I got started. Just more of a, a new challenge, something totally different, something I thought would work better. I had no anticipation of owning a company of any kind, definitely not staffing. It's, it, it is a, it is a hard business. It is an overwhelming business. It is an expensive business because you have to pay everyone before you get paid. <laughs> but the way that it worked out, I fell in love with it. But to answer your question, I this was last year. I, I actually had not taken a vacation in quite a while. And I went on vacation. It was much needed. It was with one of my aunts that's mentioned in that post. And she runs a business as well. And we were just having a very chill. It was very hard. Um, she survived cancer. And so we made a commitment. If she survived, we were taking a trip regardless. And it was very hard for me to hand over the reins for a whole week to someone else, because at that point I was vice president of a company. So I'm everyone's boss and running certain things. And, but once I had the calm and time to think, she, she kept saying, I love how you say you're on vacation, but you're reading books about staffing and you're checking in with your people and you're, you're running it like it's your business. And I said, well, I care about my clients. So like, it doesn't matter that I need a vacation. She's like, no, if you're going to work like that, you need to just own a business. And so I actually filed for my LLC. That was October of last year. And I had no idea what I was going to do because I couldn't afford to just leave. So I had to continue to run and put a hundred percent into a company that I knew one day would be a competitor sort of, (laughs) but I gave them a hundred percent and the numbers show it. They just hit their biggest year as I was exiting. So they can't take that away from me. They can't say that I short-sighted them, but I would get up really early and work on my own business before. And then I would go home and I would work. So the 90 hour weeks did not stop when I went into staffing (laughs) and they have not stopped yet. So, but what I have learned is when you love what you do and it's like, it breathes life into you. It's, I'm not upset when a a client calls me. Like I tell them, you know, we have business hours for applicants, but even my applicants, I will talk to them over the weekend. I will talk, but it's because I take so much pride in it and I love it. It's almost like my baby. And so when you're at that point, 90 hours a week, isn't really work when it's what you want to be doing. Like you wouldn't really rather be doing anything else. So, yeah. Yeah. So walk me through that you're in retail and then you go into recruiting did you have a lot of mentoring? Did you have to figure it out? Walk me through the first three months. What were you doing? Yeah, so it is starting to change where a lot of staffing companies have training programs or they'll pay a trainer to come in because they're so busy. 
But the truth of the nature is back in 2015, when I started, that was not the norm. Nobody knew what those people did or how they did it. Everybody had their own rhyme or reason. Everybody figured their own stuff out. I had a gentleman that was retiring. He was going to retire about six months in to when I started. And so he trained me for one week in the office and was exhausted. He was in his seventies. Um, so patient, so kind, but I was, I mean, I was asking a billion questions. I wanted to, I mean, he was just like, wow, I'm having to relearn things just to educate you. And my hustle was a lot harder than his. So he was just like, I'm worn out. Like I am done. I'm on that. And you're just like jumping in, like we can stay late today. And he's like, no, we cannot. I'm over here telling the applicants just come in anyway. But I got one week. And then the sales guy that was friends with my dad that actually got me the original interview, didn't get me the job, but got me the interview. He was so invested in trying to make money for himself, obviously, and for the company that I would call him and and I'd be like, listen, I don't understand the verbiage. Like, what is this job even about? So I did have to rely on him at first, but to be honest, a lot of my training comes from Google. So, you know, you cannot tell me in this day and age that you can't learn something you really want to learn, even if you can't afford something. So when I would get a job order, I didn't know the difference between a manual and a CNC machine. I, I didn't know half of the equipment terms for construction. I'd be like, oh, so that's the thing that's like this, you know. But what I would do is I'd go to Google, I'd go to YouTube, and I'd look in the machines and I would look up the companies. And a lot of times you can find videos because they're proud of what they have. And so I am very much self-educated to a certain amount. And then the salesperson, because he was so invested in trying to turn that office around um, for probably the first year or two. And then he was kind of like, oh, this girl knows what she's doing. I free the reins. They actually let go of another person after that guy retired. And then they had someone quit. But I was able to single-handedly replace all the income that they brought in. So he could no longer complain that things weren't getting done. It was almost like Rachel's a little crazy. She wants a buffet. She wants a hundred job orders all the time, but she's going to rotate. She's going to make it work. So yeah, I just, I found my rhythm. And then I was like, sir, I don't need your help. Just send me the job orders. Like this, I don't need you. I'll deal with the clients myself. And I think it was a learning curve for him too, because he never had that. He always had people that kind of, they didn't really want to do full cycle recruiting. They just wanted one little part of it. And they wanted him to kind of have to deal with the backlash. Me, I wanted to know everything. So I wanted to know if you didn't like who I said. I wanted to have the tough conversations. And I think that really prepared me for what I'm doing now because now I am the queen of tough conversations. I am the person for that. (laughs) I try to protect my staff. If I get someone that's willing to do it and wants to do it, I will help them because I think that they may, you know, I, I cannot get onto someone for being similar to me. Um, so please have at it if you want it. But the truth is most people, they shy away from those things, but you're better people in staffing. They, they kind of get a rise out of it. Like it's almost more of an accomplishment if I can come back from a bad situation and repair mm. that relationship. What are the tips for people that are trying to improve on handling tougher conversations? Yeah. So. I did a lot of, yet again, YouTube and Google. I follow a lot of people. I listen to how, like, I will just literally be like, I need to talk about fire. Like I literally Googled how to fire someone and the best ways to do it without getting sued, all the things, you know, and there's a lot of material out there. I'm I'm an avid reader that helps a lot. I do a lot with the staffing industry. And a lot of that is communication. So I read books on management and communication long before I ever advanced. And I'd like to say I'd give credit to part of that because what you put in is what comes out. 
But I think also putting yourself in the other person's shoes, learning to think through, and you won't understand everyone. Everyone comes from different backgrounds, but always being respectful and kind, but you have to be honest because you're getting paid to do a job. And part of that job is being transparent. I think too many people in the staffing industry, unfortunately, I hear it from both sides, clients and applicants, like, hey, I just don't trust this person. And me, you may not like me, you may not like the decision I made, but you can trust me because I'm being completely transparent. My dad always says I'm honest to a fault, but it has served me well. So I'm going to just keep doing it. (laughs) Honest to a fault. There must be some stories to go along with that. Yeah, there's probably plenty. I will say I've got a variety of stories, um, but an interesting one, I will say I've actually been physically threatened by men twice my size because I am in the manufacturing construction world. You do get a lot of people that have a checkered past or different levels of emotional intelligence. You get some hotheads. And so I've really had to learn how to diffuse situations. So this is several years ago, and I don't even remember the gentleman's name, but I remember that when I processed him for his job, he had some stuff that was on his background. The client was okay with it. It was a violent nature. So I already kind of knew he had a little bit of a temper, but I don't care if they don't care. And he was going on a construction crew with a bunch of guys. So I was like, well, they're safe. You know, they can deal with it. But they winded up terminating him. And what a lot of people don't realize is when you're on contract to hire that message doesn't always come from the construction company. It comes from their recruiter. So even though you're the messenger, people want to shoot the messenger, right? So I had to call him and say, sir, even though you're in your forties, and this is a basic expectation, you keep getting caught on your phone. It was only his first week of work. And I said, you knew day one orientation, you weren't allowed to have your phone on you. You've been caught several times. This is going to be your final paycheck. You don't, you no longer have a job. And I thought that was the end of it. He was a little annoyed on the phone. He was kind of annoyed that they didn't approach him, but that's not really my responsibility. I do whatever they need me to do. So if I'm making money off them, if they want me to be the one that has a hard conversation, I'm going to do it. And I was working late that night by myself, which wasn't the smartest move in that area. And when I went out to my car that night, I was probably 28, 29. And I was going to put my bags in my car and get situated. And I come around the corner where I'm kind of up against a a wall, a concrete wall of of the section that I was in. And he was waiting, basically blocking when I looked back. So there was no exit. It was either get in your car or face him. And he actually showed that he had a gun on him, like lifted his shirt. And that was the first time I've ever really experienced anything like that. I kind of grew up a little more sheltered, very conservative Christian family where you treat women with respect. I think in that moment, it was probably a combination of not knowing what to do, not prepared, fear. But then it also, I realized people, bullies like people who fear them. They feed into that. And so I just reached behind me and acted like I had something on me too. I looked at him and I said, listen, I know that you have a family. I know that you have a past because I'm the one that ran your background. I know that I have a clean background. So even if I kill you right now, chances are they're going to believe me over you. I'm probably going to be okay. Are you going to be okay if you hurt me today? Are you going to go home to your kids? And, you know, it took a minute. I think it stunned him that I didn't show the fear. No, it was there, but I didn't show it. And 
he threw his hands up like he was under arrest and backed up and apologized. And I never saw him again. But after that, I did go and purchase a gun (laughs) and I did get a little bit thicker skin of like, I realized that what I did had a risk to it. And so you really can't afford to be hot headed when you're terminating people. You really have to go above and beyond with the customer service both ways. You also have to be careful about your business partners because if they don't treat people well, it can come back on you and they're not there to protect you. And so they may cuss a guy out and throw him off the site and tell him, I'm not even paying you for the hours you work today. Guess who they're coming to see? The person that writes the check. So I've had to really have some tough conversations with clients. Like, please don't put me in this situation. Give me a heads up if somebody seems to be a hothead coming back to the office for me because they're mad at you. But I've also just had to be very aware of my surroundings. I don't park up against a wall. We have a great office here. It's very well lit. It's in a shopping center. So there's a ton of people around because I have an all female staff. So it's not even about me. It's about keeping them safe. We have ADT securities. We've got panic buttons all over this place. So you can't protect everyone. That's just life, but you can be thoughtful and you can prepare for the worst. Hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. And and do remember that under pressure, usually fear is not going to bring out the best in you. So you have to channel something else, whether that's defense or what. Sometimes it can be catching somebody off guard because I think he really thought I had a gun behind me. I had no gun and I wouldn't have known how to shoot it anyway, but I do now. So, (laughs) you know, lesson learned. I think it's kind of like insurance. As things happen, you adjust and you change what you do. Wow. Great story. Going back to, you know, being a vice president, your aunt telling you you're working so hard, you should be doing this for yourself. And then you waking up early and, and staying late. For the people that are thinking about this now, if you had to go back, what would you do? Would you do anything different? It's been so difficult, but successful for me personally. I don't know if I'd want to do anything different, even though I feel like I could write a book on that, because then I may not wind up where I'm at. So even my mistakes and my missteps, what I will tell people to prepare them is, Being a business owner, starting a business of any kind, whether it's, you know, because I've got friends that started construction businesses, logistics, all those things. Then, of course, I was calling them and we all kind of say the same thing. You have to have a certain level of grit. And especially if you're like me, where you're having to sell your house, apply for loan, like ruin your credit, self-funded, not getting paid. I haven't had a check since July and I still show up and I work every day. You have to be that kind of person. And not everybody's like that. And if they think it's going to be easy to be the boss, it is the hardest job in the world. I have a new respect for anybody that's the boss. And even though I was the boss before, it wasn't my money. It's very personal when you've risked everything. Like if it didn't pan out, I'd lose my home. I'd lose my car. I'd lose everything. So it is a risk. But I think the biggest thing to be prepared for is it is going to be a humbling experience because you cannot know everything. They change everything every year. That makes it so hard to even help someone starting a new business, even just getting licensing. And, you know, you really have to rely on other people and you have to stay on them. So that recruiter communication kicked in because I was, I'm going to be the most squeaky wheel until I get what I need. I was able to find a wonderful workers comp company finally and convince them we're the first policy they've written with that company. That's a startup People don't want to give you workers comp for construction. But what I had to do was leverage my resume, leverage that I already know what I'm talking about. I'm a startup, but not really. So I think it pays. Don't start a business on something you've never done. 
when people tell me they're start thinking about starting a staffing company and then I found out they've never even like hired someone or fired someone, I'm like, you should probably go work in an agency for a while and get, you know, find out because most people don't make it in our industry more than three years. The best of the best do and they stay in it. If you're not the best of the best, please don't open a business. Like there's enough of us. We don't even, you'll shut down in a year or two. It's just, it's pointless. And there's a lot of effort and money that goes into it, energy. So don't do that to yourself. Know that you love it because there's going to be days where you don't like it. You don't like any part of it. You never want to see a person again. You don't want to have a conversation. I'm not going to lie. There has been times where, because I'm so accessible, I've literally had to say to my business partner, like, Hey, can you be on call tonight? And I'm just going to shut my phone off because I don't even want to see a text message from a person. I want the whole night to just be me alone doing what I want to do (laughs) uninterrupted. And you have to do that on occasion, but you don't really get that privilege a whole lot in the beginning. And so you have to be willing to sacrifice. You have to be willing to admit that you don't know everything. Cause even if you've been in it, as long as me, I knew the recruiting side really well. I even knew the advertising side pretty well. Cause I'd handled that, but I had nothing to do with payroll. So first weekend I'm over here learning payroll and don't have a degree to it. Not a numbers person. I'm a people person, not my strength. And I've consistently done it since we've opened. And just now I'm getting to the point where I have somebody that I can pass some of that on to, to take the weight off of me. But you have to be willing to admit that you don't know stuff. For me, that's really hard. I hate asking for help because I like to just learn on my own, do my own thing. But when you're starting a business, you will mess up so much and spend extra money if you don't call. So I literally called competitors. I called friends in the staffing world. I called business owners. It's amazing when you decide to be humble about it and just admit like, Hey, can you recommend a system? Hey, can you, how I found my funding company and was able to do all this was from a competitor that I (laughs) in town. And he was just like, Hey, this is not who we use, but I researched and I think they'd be the best for you. And I just wanted to put a bug in your ear that I think this might help you. He had no idea that I had been researching a ton. And when that came through, it was exactly what I needed. So I, you know, I had to take him to dinner when we first opened and thank him. And he was like, please don't tell my company that I did this. And I'm like, it's so, and there's so many stories like that. I mean, I've been given clients from competitors mm-hmm. that it's not in their niche. They may hire like their accountants or their tech people or IT. And then they realize it's a plant location and they need production people. And they're like, that's not what we do. And so now it's funny how many of those companies have reached out on my behalf and kind of sold it for me and said, this is who you need to do that. That's all she does. That's what she specializes in. And so it will be very surprising. You will find the people that you think are going to support you and be the biggest help may not be. It may not be your family and friends. And I definitely have a great support system, but I will say a lot of my profitability has come from the very unexpected people in the industry that are like, well, this girl's all, you know, she's all about it and I don't want to deal with it. Let me send an introduction, get that off my plate. And I try to always return the favor too, so that you just keep a good morale. But if it's everyone, if people just do what they're good at, stay in their lane. Wonderful. That's great. Is I love the, the entrepreneurial stories. How do you see this progressing for you? So I want to keep it small. I know that sounds funny, but this is personal to me. And I know that a lot of people don't believe that business is personal. It better be if it's your money on the line and your credit and everything else that you've put into it and every bit of energy. And that's how you spend your day. You bet it's personal to me if you don't pay your bills. So for me, it's more of a, we opened August 1st. 
And then we found out we had a little bit of a hiccup. All of our licenses were in place, except the staffing license was on the way that I had filed for a month ago for just the statewide one. And when it came in the mail, the first week we opened, it was dated for August 9th instead of August 1st. And it specifically says, you cannot put anyone to work until August 9th. And I was like, so I'm all like gung-ho, ready to hire people. And so I went around and told my staff, well, now we have some time to learn the system, do some other things we need to get in order this week, get, you know, but you need to go ahead and be inviting people in and interviewing because come August 9th, we better be starting people. And we did. First day, we hired a person and <laughs> kept going. But it is a lot of investment on the front end. So the way that we see it is I've got two part-time women and I've got two full-time women. And then there's me. So it's a small office. It's just five people. Two of those work kind of hybrid remote. So they're not even here a lot. So a lot of times it's just three of us. So the goal is our office is not very big. We really can't have a lot of people in. We can definitely get some back of house support and hire some remote people at some point when we need to. And I, I would love to have that problem. But to me, if you open multiple branches or you're not on site, you lose control of the environment. And a big part of why I did this is everyone I hired, I loved. I've worked with or I've lived with. They're either family or they're friends. And a lot of people say, don't hire your friends. You do if they're good at what they do and it's exactly what you need and you know that about them. So every single person here, I've kind of trained from scratch on my own, even prior to us opening in some ways, my business partner, she desperately wanted to be a recruiter. And when I couldn't get her a recruiting job with me, I got her an admin job and then I helped her work, work her way up. And so she is very loyal. She's a huge part of my business. I trust her completely. I think I'm in a unique spot that like, I literally know these people so well in and out and can trust them so well. Like our funding company, they wanted certain settings in the system to protect the money. Like you get ownership view, but everybody gets something separate. And I was like, no, I'm going to need you to change it to ownership view. These are my partners. This is how I see them. Technically, yes, I'm the one that took the big risk and the money, but they took a risk by coming with me when we only have enough to get us through. At first, it was just, we had enough for a few weeks. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew that I knew how to do my job. And I knew that the people I had wanted me to succeed, wanted to succeed. And they knew that if I succeeded, I was going to take care of them. So even though I'm not getting paid, they're all getting paid well. And they love coming into work. I, I feel like I can comfortably say that. And not that they don't have bad days or moments of things that aren't comfortable, but I've seen them all at different jobs where they didn't like their boss or they didn't feel appreciated or acknowledged. And I'll tell you what, they have worked like dogs for me because they know how hard I work and how much I care. So for me, it's more of do what we have to do to get profitable with us opening August 1st. You know, here it is. We're two months in. Technically, it's only two months and a couple of days since we could actually start hiring people. So we had a little bit of a delay there, but we hit the ground running and I actually got the projections that, you know, January one, we expect to be profitable and to be a small business, especially a staffing business. You know, most people are hopeful for being profitable in two years. So to hit it in less than six months, I think says that we've got not a secret sauce, but we've got the right people doing the right things. So it's more of manage what we have, grow slow and steady because that's going to win the race. But we don't really want to be the staffing company for everybody. I wanted to open my company, so I never had to work 
with people I don't like or respect or trust again. So now I, when I vet clients, it's very different. I want to know how they treat people. I want to know, you know, if I'm going to be an extension of your company, are we similar, you know, on certain things? Do we agree on things? I didn't have that luxury at another company. It was all about money. So if my boss wanted us to work on it, we had to work on it, whether we liked them or not. But here, if you keep it small and tight, you're kind of vetting everybody. (laughs) And for us, we're just going to focus on the state of South Carolina, preferably within an hour of the office, because I want to sit down with these people face to face. I want to walk the construction site myself and see how their safety is. I want to walk the plants. And I do. I keep still toed boots in my truck of my car. I will change out of business clothes into jeans and a hard hat and a heartbeat. And so that is our goal is to become known as some of the hardest working women that you will not find somebody that cares more about your business. And I think because of that, we need to stay local and small. It's not about doing the most in sales, although I do think that follows good work. The money always kind of follows when you care. And that's just been true in my career. I've always made more money than most recruiters that I knew, but it's very dedicated. So for us, it's just more about slow and steady growth, making the right decisions. If you're going to fail, fail fast, turn the corner, do something different. But I could not be more proud of my staff. I love my clients genuinely. Even the ones I'm getting to know, I've been so impressed. I think we've presented ourselves in a way where they know what to expect. You know, I had a client that was dragging his feet about signing a contract and he's the one that reached out to me for help. And he was complaining that staffing companies weren't responsive and didn't have good communication. And then I had to inform him, I have very good communication and I've been very responsive and you're not that way. So maybe that's why you've been attracting those staffing companies. So, and and that's a hard thing to say when money's on the line and we had just opened up. He was one of the first calls I had my first week of business. And I just told him, I said, listen, you have to be what you want. So are you a partner in this? Can I trust you to be responsive and do the right thing? Are you trying to waste my time? Because I don't have time to waste. And I remember he was kind of a little caught off guard, but I tell you what, the next day there was a signed contract in my inbox. So sometimes it's, it's putting people on notice that like, we're not salesy people here. If anything, I'm trying to disqualify you because bad business, you know, not all business is good business. Not all money is good money. So for us, it's more of just, I always tell my partner, we're not starting a business where we're starting a movement. I want to create an environment where no one ever quits here. Like they only leave if something happens out of their control. I don't know many places like that. And so I told her, I said, if we create that, we can get the best and the top talent over the years because they're all going to want to come work here. But we also can demand better clients because we have the character we have the work ethic. And so far, that's it's trending in that direction. Very nice. Is there anything that uh, I did not ask you, but you wanted to share? I will say another bit of advice, and I think this gets skipped over a lot. One thing I've really learned by having what I call my risk manager, that's my workers' comp guy. And you have to have, in this industry in particular, so many people are getting hurt. So many people are dying. So... If you are new to this or even just on the recruiting side and don't understand the side, it's going to be crucial that you find a good support system to coach you through that and get systems in place. I've never been more concerned about safety now that I'm the one paying if someone gets hurt. So I think a lot of times people get comfortable on the job and they're not paying attention. And if you have client partners that will allow that, 
it can very easily cost you a lot of money. You'll actually lose money on it instead of make money on it. But you also have to witness someone either getting hurt or lose their life. And so do your research on that and definitely weigh the cost. And just remember that, like I said, not all business is good business. You you want to have a reputation for working with really good people, keeping people safe. You want people to want to come work for you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash tats talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.